You know, when I was a kid, my dad started something called Etiquette Night. Etiquette Night. And here's what Etiquette Night was. We as a family would have to dress up on Thursday nights. In fact, I would have to wear a tie. I hated wearing a tie. We'd wear a tie. There'd be a white linen tablecloth on the table. We'd get the nice glasses out, the nice plates, the nice silverware. And we were to have a night with our best manners. And the purpose of Etiquette Night was so that we would have good etiquette. And we would have good etiquette. And my my dad's plan was that he would would do this and we would continue to do this over and over again until we got to the point where he could take us to Tavern on the Green. Tavern on the Green was this nice restaurant in New York that I've never been to. (laughs) And here's why. We did Etiquette Night. It was going well. We were doing really well. And then we got kind of into this rhythm. And then, you know, we started to improve with our manners. And we started to improve on all these things. And then one Thursday, my dad let me invite three of my friends over. He must have forgotten that it was Etiquette Night. And now there are four middle school boys at Etiquette Night. Now, he didn't make them dress up. But he began to explain what was expected of them on etiquette night. He began to explain the, the, the roles and the, and the culture of etiquette night. And as he was explaining, I could see in my friend's eyes the laughter that was about to happen. I was like, this is not going to go well. And, and my dad, he's trying, he's explaining, and he doesn't even finish explaining before one of my friends burps. And my dad loved these three guys like they were his own sons. And, and he's, he's rolling with it, and he's trying to, like, install good... It, it just went out of control. It spiraled. Etiquette night was just a mess. It, it, it just didn't work. And then what was really interesting about that was that from that day, etiquette night was never really the same. In fact, we couldn't take it seriously. At times, we would laugh, we would joke... And eventually, Etiquette Night just went away. What happened? I mean, we were doing so well. What happened? Well, my friends happened. These outside influences came in, and they hijacked the focus and mission of Etiquette Night. We're in a series called Ecclesia, the ancient future church. And the reason we're in this series is we're taking a look at the ancient church and looking at the future church. And as we do that, we get to see God's architectural design for the church today. The reason we're doing that is because we're in a time where if we're not careful, outside voices and outside forces may influence us to cause us to lose focus on the mission and purpose of the church. And so we want to get back to looking at what God has, what is his plans for the church. And so today we're going to take a look at a chapter that if you've been in the church, you may have heard often. You may have read many times. We're looking at Romans chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, oftentimes people will look at that and they'll read it and they'll interpret it in a personal way. And that's good. You should read Romans chapter 12 and you can see how it applies to your personal life and you should be able to see how you can change things personally for it. But don't forget that Paul who wrote this letter, Paul wrote this letter to a church in Rome. He was writing to a whole 
church. He was writing to a whole community. He was writing to a whole ecclesia. And so what we're going to learn from this chapter today is three things. We're going to learn that a church is meant to be a community that worships together. We're going to learn that a church is meant to be a community that works together. And we're going to learn that a church is meant to be a community that loves together. So if you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to break it up into a few sections here. Starting at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's happened in this letter so far is that Paul's given all this deep uh, biblical truth. He's given this sound Christian doctrine. He's given all of this theology, and he's, and he's gotten to this point in the letter when he's like, therefore, now that you've got all this information, now that you've got all this truth, therefore, here's how you apply it to your lives. And if you read Paul's letters, Paul wrote a lot of letters in the New Testament. If you read them, Paul usually gets to the end of his letter, and he gives this practical application. And the first part of this is, he says, now worship. And so we are to be a community that worships together. And some of you may be like, okay, great. That's why I come to church on a Sunday. That's why I check in online, because you guys have really good worship. And if we're not careful, we might misunderstand what worship is, because at times we may think that worship is just about music and song. Now, music and singing are expressions of worship, but worship is so much more than that. Worship is what we do with our lives. Our very lives are to be an act of worship. And what Paul is saying is to bring everything, all of your actions, all of your mundane, everything that you are, everything that you do, you bring all of it as an act of worship to God. So we can say that we go to church to worship. But we also can say that we go to Wawa to worship. Then we go to Giant to do our groceries and to worship. Then we go to school to worship. We go to home to worship. Because everything that we do, everything that we are, needs to be an expression of worship. And then what Paul does is he gives this really powerful imagery. He gives this really powerful illustration. He talks about us being a living sacrifice. Now, sacrifices were a foundational part of worship in the Old Testament. But what Paul does by telling us that we need to be a living sacrifice is that he gives us this acknowledgement of a change in worship that happens because of Jesus. In the Old Testament, a sacrifice was done when someone came and brought something that they owned and offered it as a sacrifice. In the New Testament, because of Jesus, they don't bring something that they own, they bring themselves. We are to bring ourselves as a sacrifice. And here's where it gets really cool. When you look at the sacrifices of the Old Testament, there is a lot of reasons for sacrifices. There is a lot of reasons that you would offer a sacrifice, but there's kind of two main categories. There is a category of reconciliation and a category of celebration. What we need to understand is that Paul is not asking us to offer ourselves as a sacrifice of reconciliation because we can't. We can't do that. 
Because of sin, and sin is simply when you do something that God doesn't want you to do, or you don't do something that God wants you to do, because of our sin, we outright reject God. We are in rebellion of God. And because of that, there's a consequence of, of separation from God. The Bible calls that hell. There's a very real consequence to our sin. And we were in need of someone worthy of that sacrifice. Because the, the, the title that Paul uses, the description that Paul uses in, this, in these two verses of uh, pure and holy, we, holy and pleasing to God, we cannot be that on our own. No matter how many good things we do, we are in need. We will fall short, so we are in need of another sacrifice. We are in need of someone to offer up themselves as that sacrifice of reconciliation, and that sacrifice of reconciliation was offered through Jesus. And so when we accept Jesus we now are to be a living sacrifice. But if we're not to be this sacrifice of reconciliation, what are we to be? We're to be the sacrifice of celebration. Our lives are to be grateful celebrations of praise and thanksgiving because of the reconciliation that was offered to us through Jesus. And here's the really cool part about that. Jesus doesn't simply make us a better version of ourselves. It's not like because of the sacrifice of Jesus that we become, uh, that I become Carlos 2.0. That's not what happens. I become a completely new creation because of Jesus. And that's where the power of the description of the words conform and transform in, in Paul's letter here, that's where the power of those words come. Because when you look at conform, what, what Paul is saying, he's kind of describing a chameleon. Someone that bounces around from culture, to culture from, from depending on where they are, depending on what situation they are, they act like those around them. They're just chameleons. Their outward expressions match whatever they should match, but they're just chameleons. And Paul doesn't want us to be chameleons. In fact, if Paul was to say that we should be an animal, my guess would be that Paul would say that we should be butterflies. Butterflies. School starting in a couple of weeks. Some of you are happy about that. And then the young person next to you is not. But if you were to go around schools at some point in this year, if you were to go around the local schools at some point in this year and you would go into the elementary classrooms, maybe you go into third grade or maybe you go into second grade, I don't know. At some point in this year, a teacher is going to get a plastic cup. And in that plastic cup are five really tiny caterpillars walking around some greenish-brown goo. I don't know what's in that goo. I'm pretty sure it's some sort of Captain America super serum. Because... Pretty quickly, those little tiny caterpillars become these huge monstrous things. And after they become so big, they then go into a... You didn't know. Some of you knew. They go into a chrysalis. For those of you who said cocoon, you are wrong. A cocoon is for a moth. A chrysalis is for a butterfly. And I paid attention to my kids telling me what they learned in school. They go into a chrysalis. And then shortly after that, they emerge as butterflies. Now here's the deal. No teacher, when they get that plastic cup with those little caterpillars walking around the greenish brown glue, no teacher's gonna lift it up and look at the class and go, hey, we got our butterflies today. Or they're gonna say, we got our caterpillars because that's what's in the cup. But when those new creatures exit the chrysalis, no teacher's gonna pick up the box and say, look, our caterpillars, 
they're going to say, look, are butterflies because they're a new creation. What Paul is talking about is an inward change, not simply an outward expression. He's not asking us to just act differently. He's asking us to reflect a complete transformation. You see, those butterflies became butterflies because they went through a process called metamorphosis. The word that Paul uses for transformed is where we get the word metamorphosis from. He's actually talking about a completely new creation. And so this is an inward change. And the reason that's important is because Paul is going to begin to outline a description of a life of worship, a description of a living sacrifice. And if we're not careful, we can look at that outline, we can look at that description and make it into a to-do list. And we can think to ourselves, as long as I check off everything on the to-do list, I'm okay. Christianity isn't about a to-do list. Christianity is more about who we are than it is about what we do. It's more about who we are than it is about what we do. So let's take a look at that list. So the first thing we learn is that the church is to be a community that worships together. And we worship as as an acknowledgement of gratitude and praise. Because of Jesus' sacrifice of reconciliation, we can be sacrifices of celebration because we have been changed and transformed. The second thing that we learn as we go into the book of Romans is this. The church is to be a community that works together. Verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ... We, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraged, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We are to be a community that works together. I kind of think that Paul was a sports fan. This is not in the passage. This is not in passage. It, it, it's just how my mind wanders, and sometimes I want you to know that my mind wanders in very weird ways. I kind of think that he was a sports fan, because if you read other parts of the Bible, he starts to talk about um, athletes, and he starts to use sports illustrations. And I kind of think that if Paul was alive today, he would be listening to sports radio, not WIP. That's not of God. but I think he would be a sports fan. And the reason I think that is because I kind of wonder, like when he talks about this body, when he talks about this this illustration of the church being a body of Christ, he does that more than one. This is actually an illustration that he actually likes, and he uses it again. I kind of wonder, was he thinking of an athlete? I, I wonder that because... I was thinking about athletes when I read this passage, and, and, and sometimes when you watch an athlete on a field or a basketball court or, or, or diving off a diving board, whatever, there's something beautiful about, about an athlete and what they do. There's something artistic about how they perform. And my mind continued to wander, and I, and I thought about basketball because basketball is really my favorite sport, and I love basketball. And I thought about Michael Jordan. Now, some of you may think that Michael Jordan is the best player of all time. He's the greatest of all time. And some of you may say, no, it's Bill Russell. 
Um, he's the greatest of all time. Well, here's the deal about Michael Jordan. Here's my opinion of Michael Jordan. He's overrated. Overrated. He, the only good thing that Michael Jordan ever did was Space Jam, and he was carried by Bugs Bunny. And the reason that I feel that Michael Jordan was overrated is because I'm a bitter, jaded Knicks fan. That's why. But even this bitter, jaded Knicks fan cannot deny how beautiful Michael Jordan looks in the air when he's about to dunk. It's literally like a dancer. It's like art, just art. It's just, when they slow, I was like, I've ne you'd never see anyone look like that. Now, my question is, when Michael Jordan is on a fast break and he's about to do one of these beautiful dunks, can one of his body parts say, no, thank you, I'm going to sit this one out? As he's going down, can his left big toe say, guys, you go on ahead, I'm going to wait here while you do that. Can one of the body parts say, I'm not going to participate in this? Yes, it can. It's called an injury. He can go down the court and his pamstring can pop and say, I'm not participating in that. His Achilles can pop. I'm not participating in that. A body part can say, I'm not going to do what the rest of the body is going to do. That's called an injury. That's called sickness. If every one of us are members of a body, and every one of us should be working together, and each one of us has a part to play, my question needs to be, if I am not participating in what the body is doing, my question needs to be, am I causing injury to the body? Am I causing injury to the body? You see, everyone doesn't have the same gifts, and so everyone doesn't have the same roles. But everyone does have a gift, and everyone does have a role. So what are you gifted at? What are you gifted at? Are you a teacher? Because we could use some teachers, whether it's in our adult Bible fellowships or, or in our kids' classrooms. We could use some teachers. Maybe you're an encourager. Maybe you're just someone who can really encourage people. Can I just say, if you're an encourager and that's your gift you should seriously think about working with students. Because I don't know any group of people that need encouragement more than our middle school and high school students right now. Maybe you should think of being a small group leader. Maybe you're one who gives generously. Maybe you have the gift of generosity and we want to say thank you. And as Charles said earlier, you know, we're a little bit behind. So maybe we need you to step up in generosity. But maybe you're a servant. Maybe your gift is serving. You're someone who likes to to, to do things behind the scenes. You, you like to help people. Well, maybe you need to join our Barnabas team and go and, and visit others uh, who just can't get outside. Or maybe you need to join one of our tech teams or join uh, one of our landscaping crews or, or set design. There's all sorts of different ways that you can get involved in the work of the church, in the work of the body. And what you need to understand is that there are two types of people who come to Calvary Church, and both are completely welcome, and we are so happy that both types of people are here. The two types of people are this. You're either a visitor or you're a participant. You're either a visitor or a participant, and we're happy. We're just happy that you're both here. We really are. Like, you are welcome. We love that you're here, but you need to know that we expect you to move at some point from visitor to participant. Some of you 
Maybe I've been visitors for 10, 15 years. You're meant to be a participant. You're meant to be a participant. Maybe that's volunteering, maybe that's giving, maybe that's praying for someone. But you're meant to be a participant, not just to walk in and walk out. But you are welcome here, and we're happy that you're here. But you need to know we have an expectation as well. Okay. So, so far we've learned two things. We've learned that the church needs to be a community that worships together. And we learned that the church needs to be a community that works together. The church also needs to be a community that loves together. Let's go back into Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who are in harm. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a lot. What's up with Paul? Like he gets to this point and then he just goes like rapid fire. Do you understand? Do you realize that there were 30 commands that he gave in that passage in those verses? There's 30 things that he told us to do, 30 directives. And he just kind of fires them off. But what we need to understand is that what anchors all of those commands, what anchors all of them, is the first one. Love must be sincere. In fact, what Paul is saying is that love must be without hypocrisy. We must love with true love. True love. And then he fires off all these different statements to kind of describe what that true love looks like. He says, love is discerning. Uh, it's filled with de- de- devotion. Uh, it honors. It's enthusiastic. It's, it's patient. It's, all, it's, it's faithful. It's sympathetic. It's harmonious, it's humble. There's, there's all these descriptions of love. This is, this is real love. This is, these are the themes that we pick from all of those verses. This is what the church is supposed to be filled with. This is what the church is supposed to be known for. Is that true? Is that what we're known for? Are we known for that kind of love? Because that's a question worth asking. Because that love gets stepped up a little bit, and then the cost of love gets stepped up a little bit as well. You know, you kind of could look at those, and you're like, oh, well, that's kind of hard to do, but I'm okay with that. But as you go along, it gets a little bit harder to love. Look at the statements. Bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not take revenge. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And it's easy to look at those commands and kind of glaze over them, and kind of go through them really quickly and just kind of lose the weight of them. But those are intense commands. 
Those are intense commands. Is that what the church is known for? I would tend to think that the reputation of the church right now in our culture, the answer would be no. We have an opportunity to change that reputation. We have an opportunity to love with that kind of love. We have an opportunity to reclaim the reputation of the church and let that be our reputation. But wait, what about that verse at the end? I like that verse. I like that verse. Love, because then you get to heap coals on your enemy's head. I like that one. There we go, Paul. Back with you. That's not what that's about. Paul didn't make that up. In fact, he's quoting from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 25. Verse 21, it says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Again, he's quoting from Proverbs, but okay, what does that mean? So I started to study that, and I started to read commentators on that, and what I learned was something kind of crazy. Back then, when the proverb was written, back then, there was a custom, an Egyptian custom, actually, an ancient Egyptian ritual that would happen, that when someone was repentant or someone would finally see the folly of their ways, they would walk by carrying a bowl with coals in it, and it was symbolic of a new mindset. It was symbolic of actual uh, repentance and transformation. It was symbolic of a change. You see, the love wasn't meant to hurt, it was meant to heal. Those coals weren't meant to hurt, they were meant to heal. The love we show will actually point people to repentance and change. You see, our values here at the church are connected impact, and what we say is, as we connect with God and he impacts our lives, we are then called to connect with others and impact their lives with the gospel. This kind of love impacts lives with the gospel. This kind of love causes deep, life-changing impact. But it goes against every part of my nature. When someone hurts me or wrongs me, that is not my natural response. I don't want to do that. How do I do that? Well, I'm not going to do that if I approach this whole chapter as a to-do list. I'm not. Because this chapter isn't a to-do list. It's a result list. It's not a to-do list. It's a result list. It's a result of the metamorphosis we talked about at the beginning of the chapter. It's a result of the, the impact that we have in our lives because of the sacrificial life of Jesus. And that impact causes us to be a new creation. And so we are able to love differently. And a life that's lived as a living sacrifice has to love this way. How can we impact others with this crazy, powerful love? It's because we were impacted by this crazy, powerful love. You see, changed people change people. Changed people change people. And the way we change people is by introducing them to Jesus. 
And it is Jesus who impacts your lives in a powerful way. So what do we do with all that? What do we do, what do, we do with all that? We just read through a chapter and we learned that we are a church, a community, an ecclesia. And we are to be a church that worships together. We are to be a church that works together. We are to be a church that loves together. So what do we do with that? How do we do that? What's the next step we have to take? What's a practical thing we need to do? Well, we're starting today what we call a campaign that's called Say Yes. You might have seen a wall when you walked in here in Sourton, or you might have seen a wall when you walked in Quakertown, and it was covered with post-it notes, colorful post-it notes, and said, Say Yes on there. We're starting a campaign today called Say Yes. And just to be clear, saying yes begins with saying yes to Jesus. Saying yes begins with saying yes to Jesus. It's when we decide that we're no longer going to be caterpillars, we're going to be butterflies. It's when we decide that Jesus is going to impact our life and make us a new creation. Saying yes starts with saying yes to Jesus. But when we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to his mission and we say yes to his church. When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to his mission and we say yes to his church. And what does that mean? That means that we all have a part to play in his mission and we all have a part to play as one body. So what part are you going to play? There's a lot of gifts in this room. There's a lot of gifts over there in Quakertown. There's a lot of gifts with all of you watching online. There's a lot of skill sets that you have. There's a lot of things that God has blessed you with. It's time to put them in action for the church. Not for the sake of Calvary Church, but for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of honoring Jesus, for a living sacrifice of celebration because of the impact that we have had in our lives because of Jesus. It's time to be a participant. So what are you going to do? I'm excited. What are you going to do? Don't answer today. Don't answer today. You know, what we desire here at Calvary Church is to create a culture of prayer. We desire to create a culture where before we do anything, before we make any decision, we want to cover that, saturate that decision in prayer. So we want you to do that today as well. So here's what we would like you to do. Over the course of this next week, we want you to pick three days, three days, where you just pray about where it is that God has you being pointed towards. Where does he want you to be a participant? We just want you to pray for three days. But we're giving you a bonus one. A bonus assignment. It was like a buy one, get one. I'm really very thrifty, so I always have coupons, so I got to buy one, get one free. I'm just letting you know. Three days, we want you to pray about where God wants you to participate, right? And then we want you to take three post-it notes off of those walls, off of the walls in Souderton, off of the walls in Quakertown. Quakertown, you go outside at the end of the service, not now, not now, wait. Go take the post-it notes off of the wall. You guys, at the end of the service, you're going to take three post-it notes. 
online, if you'd like a post-it note, give us a ring during the week, we'll get a post-it note to you. You're going to take three post-it notes. On each post-it note is a name. It's just a first name. No last name, just a first name. Those are the names of everyone in our church. Now, just to be clear, you might be like, really? They all fit on one wall? Okay. There's only one John. We didn't put every John at the church. We just put one John. Okay? So we didn't have duplicate names. Okay? But on those post-it notes is everyone that attends Calvary Church that we have in our database. Kids, students, bridge, all of you in this room, our adult Bible fellowships, Everyone is on those post notes. The one thing we know right away, if you're looking for a way to participate, how do I participate in this work of the church? Everybody in the church can pray. Everybody can pray. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend three days praying for where God wants you to participate, but you're also going to spend three days on each of those days, you're going to take one different post-it note and you're going to pray for the name on that post-it note. And so what we're going to do is, as a church, we're going to pray for all of us, the church, this week. That's what we're asking you to say yes to. It's going to be a week of prayer. We're going to keep going on with this say yes as we go along over the next few weeks, as we try to get you to see different opportunities, different ways that you can use your gifts, different ways that you can participate in the work that God is doing. Because we're excited about that work. Just so you know, we've seen some awesome things happening. There are people coming to know Christ this summer more than we've seen in a while. It feels like almost every week I learn of someone who's coming to Christ and making a decision to know Jesus. At least in the past couple of months. It's been great. And it's because of a lot of you and the work that you guys are doing. And for those of you who haven't been able to participate in it, you want to be a part of this. God is changing lives, and he's asking you to be a part of that. Three days. Three days. Three days of prayer. Pray where God wants you to ask you to participate, and pray for a name on the, on the post-it note. We are to be a community that worships together. We are to be a community that works together. And we are to be a community that loves together. Let's be that kind of church. Let's be that kind of community. Let's be that kind of ecclesia. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy. We thank you so much for the sacrifice that you gave that provided reconciliation between us and you. Let our lives be a response to that reconciliation. Let it be a response to celebration and praise and worship. Lord, I thank you for this body. I thank you for this body. There's been so much good that's come because of it. Lord, just fill us with an excitement and a passion to do your work. Bring people here that will hear the good news of Jesus and let their lives be permanently and eternally impacted. As we pray this week together as a church, for us, the church, 
We ask you that you would honor those prayers and that you would bring a blessing like none we've ever seen before. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.